Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of MA Architects Make It Innovative, featuring deep dive discussions on the world of innovation as it relates to the built environment. Throughout the series, we'll be interviewing influential innovators that are shifting the way things are done, introducing new ideas and energy to our evolving city in a way that elevates human experiences and enriches lives. Today, we'll be talking with Peggy Anderson, the COO of Equitas Health, which is a federally designated community health center that serves communities in over 13 cities, reaching people in Ohio, Kentucky, and West Virginia. Equitas Health does it all. They were established in 1984 as a nonprofit serving the LGBTQ and HIV AIDS community and have grown into a health center with the motto of care for all. Through patient-centered, integrated, and cutting-edge services, Equitas Health now provides services including primary and specialized medical care, pharmacy, dentistry, behavioral health, HIV, STI treatment and prevention, PrEP slash PEP, Ryan White and HIV case management, care navigation, advocacy, and other community initiatives. They do it all, you guys. We're not kidding. They truly care about the community they serve holistically. Not only that, but it has been awesome to see this group and their leaders speak up during this time of unrest, even marching with the Black Lives Matters protests. It is an honor and privilege to welcome Peggy to our show. Along with Peggy, we also have Liz Kolker with us today. Liz manages the institutional practice group specializing in healthcare and higher education products. Her background includes planning, architectural and interior design, project development, and project management for a wide variety of institutional and private clients, both locally and nationally, including the Ohio Health Freestanding Emergency Departments, the new College of Nursing Building for the Ohio State University, Adena Regional Medical Center's new orthopedic and robotic surgery center, as well as working with me on Equitas Health's first medical center here in the King Lincoln District in Columbus and then in Dayton and Cincinnati. Talk about a true power duo. Welcome to the show, Peggy and Liz. Yes, welcome. We're so glad to have you both on our show today. To get things off, Peggy, could you maybe give us the one-minute elevator pitch of who you are and what you do at Equitas Health? Yeah, thanks for having me. Again, I'm Peggy. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Equitas Health. Uh, Equitas Health is an LGBT and HIV organization. Um, we provide health care and other social services to those in need. Serving a lot of communities these days, I bet. Yeah, a whole lot of communities. And Liz, can you give us your one-minute elevator pitch of you know your roles and responsibility here at MA Architects? Sure, and also thanks for putting this on today, both of you. Um, I lead the healthcare and higher education practice group for MA Architects and uh, obviously serving healthcare organizations such as Equitas, as well as many uh, of the other local healthcare organizations and higher education institutions. Just a couple things going on. <laughs> a lot of really, really impressive work that is truly serving our community in such incredible ways. You guys are both so amazing to me. All right, Liz, we want to get to deep dive, get to know you. So we know a lot about your professional work. We want to let our listeners in on some more personal level insight. Sound good? <laughs> Go for it. Let's do it. What are you most excited about these days? Oh, most excited. We just bought a couple of kayaks and a couple of stand-up paddleboards. Yes. So I'm very excited about exploring the waterways here in Ohio and around the Midwest um, on those uh, you know, new toys. <laughs> yes, what a Getting great outside way. Yes. is necessary. Definitely. What is the skill still unmastered? Oh, golly. Um, so many. I think, I think I've said this before. I play piano, but not really as well as I'd like to. And my kids have learned to play really well. And I wish I could play better. So, you know, maybe piano lessons in my future. I love that. 
Fun fact, you guys, uh, our little intro song is written by Liz's son. He composed it himself, so that's pretty cool. Obviously, a lot of talent in-house, so maybe he could be your uh, teacher moving My teacher forward. Now, yeah. <laughs> Very convenient. All right, last question, Liz. What is the best way to decompress? I really enjoy talking with friends on the porch over a glass of wine. It's a pretty easy way. Oh, that sounds wonderful. It's Friday here, you guys, and that sounds like a dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, Peggy, we know your passion for all that you do and the ways that you serve the community through healthcare, but we also want to let our listeners in on a bit more about who you are. Here are your questions. If you had a spontaneous day off, what's the first thing you'd do? The first thing I would do was fix myself a very lovely breakfast, take it outside on my porch with a good book or actually probably my Kindle, I would lay down and I would spend most of the day just laying there and reading. Uh, I love it. It's like you've thought about this or something. I have. <laughs> Every now and again, a good, again, a good day off. Is, I celebrate doing nothing all the time. Exactly. Uh, it's so important taking that time to decompress and really get ready for what's to come next. What is the best thing that happened this year? You know, I've uh, this has been obviously for everyone a really rough year. Um, uh, my mom late last year uh, had a surgery and then a stroke, and has just had a really rough time. And uh, I remember getting a call from her just actually just a few days ago, and um, we didn't think she'd ever be able to walk again, um, let alone kind of take care of herself. And she called to tell me that she again with her walker was able to get out of bed by herself and walk into the living room with her walker. And so. Those are the moments that are the, you know, maybe seemingly small, but particularly in today's environment, it was one of the best things I've heard. So that would be the top for me. Oh, I'm so happy for you and for her. That's really, really wonderful. That's some great news. All right. Last question. What is the best way to decompress? Um, I am a big fan of people. So having friends over, uh, I might uh, instead of a glass of wine, do a glass of a nice Irish whiskey. Uh, nice. That is my that is my uh, beverage of choice, and just you know talk. Seeing people is one of the things I think I miss most, and so to be able to see people and sit and share your lives and sometimes just do nothing else uh, is the best way for me to decompress. Uh, the power of human connection. It sounds like you and Liz have a lot in common personally and professionally. Yes. (laughs) I love it. Very, very good. I know. We could get together and decompress together. That's right. Yeah, it sounds very aligned. (laughs) I love it. What I thoroughly love, though, about having you both here on the show today is, is your passion for what you do and those you serve. With the rise of COVID and healthcare facilities having to revamp how they provide care, both of you had really had to dig in the trenches and figure out what those solutions and strategies look like. You've had to be advocates and guide people through practices that might have been in place, but you would have hoped never would have been enacted. And I think what would be a good thing to start off with is to really give our listeners an idea of like the scope of what that actually means given the coronavirus pandemic. So what I want to hear from both of you is what this shift meant from a big picture standpoint. So diving right in, Peggy, can you give us maybe just a brief idea of all the things that have had to change so that you can still provide care for the community that you serve? Absolutely. So in Ohio, we have about 18 offices and about 460 staff. And within a two-week period, we had to figure out how to have 350 people work from home. Um, those were folks in administrative jobs, in case management jobs, and in, in the you know jobs that could be done by telephone, at least in the in the interim, in the short term. Uh, so that was a big uh, a big jump for our IT department and also for our staff just to figure out how to make that happen. Um, And then also we went from 
preparing to do telehealth in six months to making it work in two weeks. Wow. Um, yeah. And the team was amazing. Honestly, I had very little to do with that. Um, they all figured out the details and the policies and the procedures. Um, and we went from a probably, well, almost zero telehealth to about 90% of our patient visits being a, a, via telehealth wow. within, again, a couple week period. So it's been pretty remarkable. And, you know, not only that, we had to put up other physical barriers for folks who had to work in person. Um, you know, everyone in healthcare is having short shortages of protected gear. And so figuring out how we have that available and present for our staff when they need it. Uh, we have a couple programs that just work with really high risk people and they need to be in person. And so figuring out how to support them, uh, again, sometimes with physical barriers, but also, all right, what are the absolute things you have to do and what things can we kind of temporarily check out the door? So a lot of just refiguring things out. Quickly. Quickly. Yeah, very quickly. quickly. Very <laughs> nimble and agile, for sure. I mean, and talk about like you're providing care for yourself at the same time, too, as well as trying to provide care for others. Absolutely. You know, we have some staff who are high risk. They just fit in those groups automatically. We have some folks who are just scared or fearful. They live with people who are high risk. Um, and we just have folks who just you know, it's a scary time and there's a lot of anxiety, even if we are giving you the right gear. And so trying to, work, you know, figure that out and, and support them as much as possible is, is something that we tried really hard to be on top of. Well, amazing job. And so Liz, maybe you could help us understand, you know, some of the insights of what you're talking about with our clients and what they've told you that they need and then what you've helped them understand needs to change. Sure. Um, and there's obviously, there's a lot that architects do. We always act like we were saving the world, but we're of course not saving the world. We're just helping other people save the world. Um, <clears throat> some of the things that we've talked about with our clients, one of the big things really is HVAC, how the air conditioning, uh, heating and ventilation systems in buildings work, um, and to just adjust those so that you're getting more fresh air into, into each of the buildings. Not all of your old older buildings actually have those capabilities, so then there are other temporary provisions that can be made. So that's one big thing. Um, the other big thing that we've been talking recently about uh, with our clients is how things look going forward. So how might the waiting experience be reimagined? Instead of having a lot of people kind of pile into a waiting room and be, being in very close proximity, how might waiting rooms look in the future and how can we spread those folks out? Or I know some people are, are now announcing that, they're, uh, that they've arrived and, and staying in their car and then they're called in for their appointments. So, you know, what impact might that have on waiting rooms? Maybe they're bigger, maybe they don't exist. And experience too, right? I mean, it's a completely different interaction when you're like waiting in your car versus maybe getting to sit in a really nice, like, I don't want to say plush, but, you know, a really nice lobby area that you get to interact with some of the other branding elements that are going on too. And to be welcomed into the space. Right. Our healthcare partners, particularly larger hospitals, consider those first impression spaces. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they want to set the stage for people to have a positive experience. So if they're not really able to have people linger in those spaces. How do you recreate that positive experience in another way? Exactly. Well, let's dig into something, Peggy, that you brought up. Um, telemedicine. I think we've all been hearing about it on the news lately. What I think is interesting about this is a bit of a parallel between higher education and healthcare in that before we were all forced to use virtual platforms, um, many were resistant to it. McKinsey is now reporting that in many countries, we've seen 70 to 80% of primary care consultations either go online or be carried out over the phone, which is huge. I know Equitas Health has an entire telehealth and telecounseling offering for their clients. So Peggy, can you tell us a little bit more about how that came to be? Uh, I know you talked about it a little bit, but then maybe where do you see that going forward as a caregiving model? Yeah, we absolutely started um, telehealth 
kind of preparation. We had a, a pilot project that we were um, going to use telehealth for exclusively, and it was for PrEP, which is a, basically a medication you can take to remain HIV negative. And we thought this is a good small group of people that we can manage the process around, figure out the glitches, and then for the larger population, um, release it down, the, you know, again, six months down the road once we have figured out, because you don't want to release something and really screw it up. So we had just started that and uh, COVID hit. And so thankfully we had that little bit of infrastructure in place for that small program. And we were able to then um, just grow that, share those processes and protocols throughout the organization um, and make that work much more quickly. It, um, it's been remarkable. Again, like 90% of our visits or more are, are telehealth. The no-show rate has went down dramatically. Hmm, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Now, I think particularly those first few months, people were bored out of their minds. They had nothing better to do. <laughs> yes, get to see my doctor right. today. I get to talk to somebody and share my story. So that's always a good thing. But I think there's something to be said for um, somebody calls me or you know a, a text comes in and my appointment's right now. And there's also something to be said about stripping away the bureaucracy of an appointment. I mean, we all go in. I think when I go to my doctor, I check in in two different places. Then I go to the waiting room. And thankfully where I go, I'm, I don't wait too long. Um, I've gone to other doctors where I've waited a really long time. And so you don't have to go somewhere else to sit. It's there. It's quick. Um, I have talked to um, providers who have said, well, you don't chat as much because you get your appointment. You tell them what's wrong. Um, they tell you something back, but you don't have the same um, almost natural tendency to just keep talking and chatting and sharing your stories and asking how they're doing because you're on video and you kind of want to get it done and, and move on with your day. Uh, you don't have to drive there. So there's, there's a lot of that that I think is going to continue um, as long as insurers pay for it, which will be the key because <laughs> right. uh, that's not always been the case. Uh, I also think for our youth, this is just a way of life. And so if they don't have to go anywhere in person, I am not young. And if I don't have to go anywhere in person, it's great. Like, even though I miss seeing people, um, you know, if, if there's nothing that a doctor needs to see on you um, and it's really about uh, sharing where things are and sharing your symptoms, I think the online version is going to be the way of our future. It's so interesting you say that. We were researching a bunch of statistics and one in particular, a survey by Accenture said only 55% of Gen Z and 67% of millennials had a PCP pre-COVID. It was just a thing that was becoming not so cool anymore versus 76% of Gen X and 84% of boomers having a PCP. So it's, it is such an interesting thing that there is a generational gap. And I also think now COVID has really accelerated the appreciation of health and health is our wealth. If you don't have it, you have nothing. So it's interesting that and I'm curious, Mark is going to ask you a couple questions coming up, but what your opinions are as far as what this means for healthcare in the long run, for this long-term investment in your health, if people will change their ways that they feel about preventative medicine and maybe PCPs, you know, have a chance again, COVID gave them life again in, in certain ways. Given this, we were having conversations with our clients about what the role of the primary caregiver was going to have to be and what needed to change to allow things like virtual visits or a more retail-based approach in order to feel relevant to the younger generations would look like, you know, more tech-savvy generations. So, Liz, pivoting to you a little bit, uh, what do you see the role of the primary caregiver being going forward with regards to preventative medicine? 
So the really interesting thing to me that has happened over the past many years, and I, th I, I think that there's room for this to continue, is that the primary caregiver is actually re-emerging as the central focus for helping someone maintain their health over the course of their lives. So having some, you know, whether, whether it's early on providing coaching for how, how to stay healthy, connecting you to some of the specialists and really managing the care that comes back and forth between the various specialists and being that person who knows everything about you, even to following you into the hospital if you've got an issue that takes you to the hospital so that you always have somebody who has your history and kind of understands the totality of, of how your health has proceeded over the years. There's, there's definitely a, a resurgence of that kind of a, a care model in primary care right now. It's definitely like a one touch point kind of system then, right? So you basically are developing a relationship over time versus it just being coming in for one service and then going to somebody else completely differently. Correct. Um, the Affordable Care Act really kind of promoted that uh, as a way for patients to receive more coordinated care. Um, and that, that really has continued. We have changed a lot of buildings to permit some additional space for those kinds of activities to happen, actually. Um, and I don't see that stopping just as a result of COVID. It might happen differently, might happen online, but I think it's going to continue. Absolutely. I love that coordinated care. I think that's such a cool way to think about it. And speaking of care and even self-care, while COVID has changed how we interact with nurses and doctors, behavioral specialists, mental health providers, any other provider in that capacity, what I want to hear about is how are we caring for those that give us care? What is Equitas doing for their staff to help them during this pandemic? Uh, you know, this is a, it's a tough one and it's, it's not a one and done situation either. We've had folks who've been at home now for months, for four and five months at this point. Um, and some of them are feeling, or many of them probably are feeling the same anxiety, fear, isolation that the folks that we're serving are feeling. And so, you know, we tried to do some things. I know there are supervisors who check in weekly, sometimes daily, depending on the situation, about where the individual is, not just about what work you're doing, but really how, how well are you doing? How are you managing? Is it a good environment for you? I know I've seen pictures of um, care packages that the supervisors are dropping off for staff while they're working from home. Um, we have other folks where we're trying to be as flexible as possible. Um, you know, maybe you have your kids at home still and it's not ideal to work with your kids in the room. Um, and so your hours might be more flexible. And so maybe you work later when there's either the, you know, you have kids going down for a nap or there's another caregiver there. Um, we've also tried to do things like make sure we have enough PPE. We talk about how to use it. Um, we listen to folks when they say, hey, this is an issue that we feel um, we could be uh, either more barriers or provide more support um, and more safety measures. We try to do that. Um, you know, every time somebody brings me a new picture, they're like, hey, I was somewhere and I saw this and I think we need that because it put, again, that extra barrier. We really pay attention and listen to those kinds of things. And then for those folks who are in person and required to be, you know, we've tried to look at some incentive pay so to, to kind of share our appreciation for the extra um, risk that they're putting in. Uh, it doesn't take away from still the fear and anxiety, and we know we have folks who are doing that. We have some folks who, even though our offices are closed, we're allowing to voluntarily come back into the office and work because they just can't um, manage it at home for whatever reason. So there's all kinds of things, and I think every person needs something different, but those are some of the things that we're trying to do. I love that. Something we've coined is the three C's with our post-pandemics predictions. It's comfort, choice, and control. And it sounds like with your programming, you guys are really mastering all of those things and giving people that choice, comfort, and control in 
their support, the way they receive support and give support. I also think it's interesting. Someone said to me the other day, if you don't feel like you need to be back at the office or be back outside at a restaurant, you're, you're lucky that you already have that, that feeling of connection. But a lot of people need that. And a lot of people need to feel like they're part of something bigger and they're with other humans. And, you know, I'm fortunate not to have been quarantined alone, but there are so many people in isolation. And, you know, so it's neat to try to figure out safe and healthy ways that those people can still feel fulfilled in the ways that they need to be. You guys are, are doing really such an incredible job. It's so inspiring. Thank you. Yeah, I think one thing that I would like to follow up on just, you know, we've seen a lot of caregivers needing to have upskilling or new training to help them, you know, with the surge of uh, all the cases that they've had to focus on or the surge itself, um, given the new care models. Has Equitas had to provide any new training or upskilling to your staff given the coronavirus? You know, we've done some of that. Um, thankfully, you know, we've had a lot of team members who could have more transferable skills. So we, we've tried really hard not to lay anyone off during this. Um, our dental program was just not able to continue working as is. But we were able to, for the majority of staff, not all, but the majority, offer them other jobs within the organization. And I wouldn't say they needed to learn a whole lot of skills, but more protocol. Um, you know, we transferred some of the dental assistants into roles where we call them care navigators or um, call, spe I, honestly, I can't remember now, but call specialists. We had so many people meeting in person who needed to be ca called and rescheduled for a virtual visit. And that was a big, it was a lot of work. And so we were able to transfer some folks over and, and to do that work. And then we also just tried to you know, we, we offer community COVID testing. And so you don't need to be a nurse to necessarily do that. We have nurses certainly involved. And so we've brought folks from other departments and teams to help staff that process and that service. And so not a lot of full on retraining, but certainly training around protocols and processes. Well, what I love about that is, about that, is that that's a true testament to culture. When you think about it, it's a true testament to how you serve your community because you show it by how you're serving the people who are your employees or your coworkers. You're not, you know, just kind of um, sending them out and letting them figure it out on their own. You're basically saying, let's help each other to support each other through this time. Yeah, and don't don't get me wrong, we made some mistakes and some missteps, but we were trying to learn from those mistakes and those missteps. And when we hear that we don't understand this or two people are doing it differently. All right, how can we re go back and retrain and try to figure out how to be consistent? Yeah, I mean, with leadership, that's the big thing that we advise right now is just transparency. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing you can do is just say, hey, here's where we're at right now. Here's where we're going to go. We're going to figure it out as we go along the way. Absolutely. It's so interesting because we live in this era of empowered patients and technology is a huge driver for people to be more proactive with their health. And like we were talking about earlier, COVID has really brought healthcare to the forefront of priorities for people in, in their lives. So Liz, I'm really curious about trends for providers and your clients, what things that they might be asking for now that they haven't asked for before. Is it integrative or are there key things that they want to explore? And what are some of the things you see changing for them that's affected the way that we design and respond to those needs? So the, a couple of the big catchwords in healthcare right now are flexibility and resilience. So designing in ways that allow them to operate differently for when different kinds of um, considerations come into play, but still be able to operate uh, in an efficient way. Um, <clears throat> healthcare changes over time. So, and, and that's really, you know, kind of double speed recently this year. Um, but planning for um, facilities that will enable different kinds of care to occur in the future. You know, all of our healthcare providers are very um, responsible in terms of their economic um, 
expenditures on capital improvements, and they want to make sure that they're getting the, the long-term best bang for the buck. So that flexibility building in additional... So I'll give you a couple examples. In a waiting room, they're asking us to consider the possibility of including things like medical gases sprinkled around the waiting room so that if they need to exclude the public from the healthcare facility and provide additional places for patients to be able to be seen, they already have that infrastructure built into their buildings so that they can you know, surge when they need to and not have to go build a new hospital at the convention center, for instance. <laughs> So that kind of flexibility and then resilience, they talk about that as well. And, and it can take a lot of different forms, whether it's you know, looking at how buildings are served from a utilities perspective and that there's redundancy built in so that they're always up and available or um, things like um, operable partitions or, or uh, demountable partitions like the dirt wall system. Um, but, you know, kinds of construction that allow for spaces to be reconfigured over time in a much more real-time, quick way so that different things that come up can be handled um, easier than they are now with conventional construction. So those are a couple, you know, specific examples. That's really cool. I love that flexibility and resiliency are the key drivers of healthcare right now because it, it sounds synonymous with human beings as well and how they really are parallel and they really mirror each other as far as what our priorities are and where we need to live rooted in. So it's really, really cool. It's inspiring. Yeah, I mean, I think the word that I probably have used more this year in 2020 and on this podcast, too, if I'm being honest, is the word pivot, because we've all had to do a lot of things that we never pivot? thought we would have had to pivot, pivit. <laughs> friends accepting sponsorship right now. I'll never hear that word and not think of friends. <laughs> but I think that's the case. I mean, that's, you know, flexibility, you know, and resiliency is all about trying Absolutely. to find the pivot, trying to find the assets that are missing, you know, using some asset gapping foresight to try to figure out what we can do for the future. Absolutely. And speaking of pivoting, um, you know, we've talked about, you know, uh, Equitas Health serving the people and serving their employees. Um, we know that care for all is your motto at Equitas Health. And often we send our designs around the stories that companies tell because that's how you create powerful connections with those that you serve. And our designs for the three health centers we have worked on with you for Equitas Health, the community has been a primary focus. So Peggy, what does caring for your community look like for Equitas Health given today's state of unrest, protest, fear, and concern? Yeah, you know, the community needs a lot of caring right now uh, across the a nation, across the world. We've tried to do a few things, um, being real in our support of Black Lives Matters, not just not just hashtagging it. Uh, and that means working on ourselves as well, um, not just making sure that the community has to work on themselves, but our organization, individuals within the organization, we all need to pay attention, be aware, make changes, be better people. Uh, talk to our friends who may listen to us about being uh, anti-racist. So um, just supporting the Black Lives Matters, the protests, we have staff who have been involved in protests, senior leaders have wa walked in multiple marches and been part of protest. Um, we also make sure we do things like provide masks for some of the protests. So where we can, can we be part of keeping people safe in a different way? Um, we've also done some things that outside of the protest are important, like offering community COVID testing. It's so hard for certain people to have access, uh, whether it's because there are limitations and, and certainly everyone under the sun is trying to get a test right now and, and some are really feel fearful and symptomatic, others maybe just aren't sure. And so being available, um, having testing available in a way that uh, lots of folks can get access is an important part to protect your community. And then just being flexible, again, in how we offer our services. So some folks, even though our offices aren't open, struggle not meeting in person. 
And so we have, you know, we had a, some individuals who needed to go through uh, some ho housing information and, and have that explained to them. And they just needed somebody in person to explain that. So being available and thankfully we have a staff who are, you know, my colleagues are just so willing to be like, okay, how do we make this work? Keep ourselves safe, keep the clients and our patients safe, but making sure we can still provide the service. So I think it's all of those things. Yeah, you talked about just being resilient. You know, we just talked about mm -hmm. that. And that's exactly what you just described, being scrappy enough to be able to figure yes. out how to make it work. It makes me think when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And you guys really have gotten way ahead of it. It's, it's really awesome. We have the most amazing team ever. And I take very little credit for the work that they do. They just, they care about what we do. Uh, you know, an example of that, our prevention team, we gave them the option early on when everyone was closing you know, do we need to close down services? And they said, listen, we got into this because of public health. We are going to keep doing this and keep testing. Um, and we found more positives, uh, both with HIV and ST STI, than we ever expected to find during such a time of kind of lockdown and quarantine. So that tells me that our services were needed and our amazing team are just willing to be out there. We have a, a needle exchange program, a harm reduction program. And we're seeing a hundred people a day, every wow. day that we're open. Wow. And so it's remarkable. And I'm so proud to work with all of these folks who just give it, give their all every day. That's why we call healthcare providers the heroes right now. Oh, it's the truth. You guys are really doing the big work and, the, and making the change that we really need. There are a lot of changes happening though, including bigger building changes for sure. Liz, I know you've been talking a lot about socioeconomic changes coming because of COVID and the predicted surges in cases. What are you advising our clients to do to their buildings given change can sometimes be hard for such entrenched systems? So, you know, we really always take our cues, honestly, from our healthcare provider partners. Um, they are the ones who are on the front lines and who really understand how their organizations need to work and how their healthcare providers need to be taken care of. Um, so we are definitely listening, first of all. Secondly, one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that for as much as they use the buildings that we design for them, of course, they don't necessarily always understand some of the intricacies of how the systems, how, how the buildings sort of put together as an organism almost, and how we can tweak something here or there to make that organism work in a different way. So I'll give you a, a, for instance, we were talking with a client recently about how, how making relatively small interventions in their plans would help them have a more resilient, flexible building going forward and one that would be safer for their patients, families, staff, everyone in the building by simply introducing a, a little airlock that would allow them to separate buildings in terms of the air that they're sharing one from another space. Cool. So it was a pretty minor change, but one that has pretty profound um, implications for how they're able to use their buildings. So I think those two things, listening to what they need and then translating that into, you know, really thinking about it systemically, how a building can work and looking for solutions that are relatively cost effective and um, achievable and helping them see how, how making those small changes could really give them more flexibility and resilience in their buildings. Absolutely. The two drivers, right? Yep. Coming full <laughs> circle. I love it. So we are coming to the close of our show now. And so I really want to move a little bit more into the future. We've talked about Surprising. it. We've hinted at it. I know. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> the being futurist, futurist in him is coming out. <laughs> so as a certified futurist, I look for the signals and drivers of change. And what I want to hear from each of you is, are there any signals and drivers of change that you've seen that will have a positive effect on healthcare design, the patients or the providers 10 years from now? And so uh, Liz, we'll start with you and then we'll close with Peggy. Well, you know, 
healthcare is so exciting because there are so many innovations happening all the time. And uh, MA is involved in a lot of master planning projects with our healthcare partners. And in master planning, we look really out far into the future to see what healthcare is going to look like in 10 years so that we're planning for things that are happening then. And there's just so much change around tele telehealth, um, different ways of having access for patients in different situations. And it's not always from their home. Sometimes it can be from a, you know, if you're in a, in a rural situation and you may not have good access to the internet or just not have those skills or what have you, but you still want to be able to see someone um, digitally, that there are um, innovations around creating uh, publicly accessible pods almost for people to go to and to be able to see a provider digitally from that kind of still remote pod, if that makes sense. Oh, I love it. Um, there's pods that will drive to your house and you can walk into them and get your blood pressure taken and, and even, um, you know, temperature taken, just different things. Uh, and when I think about for my, for instance, for my mother, who is really not able to leave her house very easily anymore and to go to the doctor is incredibly difficult. If they could have a pod come up to her house and have her just have to go the 20 feet, you know, that would be so much better. So things like that. And then also things around medicine itself and how that really ultimately it will impact architecture. But again, letting that lead um, innovations in treatment for neurodegenerative diseases are advancing at an incredible rate right now and looking at ways for for lower impact um, health uh, treatment. I just heard about a, a shot that could potentially decrease people's um, susceptibility to heart disease over their entire lifetime. Wow. Like, well, that's certainly going to mean we're not going to need open heart operating rooms, right? <laughs> so, you know, there's advances in medicine that impact healthcare architecture tremendously. And um, we really just are excited to see what those are going to be over the next 10 years. Awesome. Those are some exciting signals. Yeah. I definitely can't wait to see what comes from it. Uh, Peggy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and, you know, I agree with Liz on a lot of things around the rural area. When we look at our patients, particularly trans patients and LGBT folks in general, they don't always have a welcoming place to go. Uh, for medical care in their own communities uh, or in their own families do they have a supportive environment and so being able to log in and have an appointment with somebody who truly understands your identity um, is going to be an amazing thing in the future it happens now but it's again it's been limited i think i hope is maybe a better way to say that i hope that what we've learned with telehealth and with being flexible and making quick changes with COVID, that we still get rid of some of the bureaucracy and the filler and the waiting in the future. I'm not 100% sure it's gonna happen, but I think we got a taste of it can work and it can happen and you can still get good, really good care. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that that is something that's changed in the future, long-term. One thing that I'm just going to add on throughout there is just respect for our providers too. You know, given the amount of work that they do, I know we have had like WebMD and other things that have come up that people have tried to supplant with, you know, actually going to the doctor. But I think hopefully now we can understand we actually need to go see our doctors and form a relationship yeah. with them. Otherwise, WebMD, you always end up with brain cancer and you're like, oh, I thought it was just allergies, you know? So <laughs> we need our healthcare providers. And, and on a serious note to Mark's earlier point, they really are the heroes of today. And it has been so inspiring to see how well recognized they've been for the work that they have been doing and the, their call to courage during this time. I have immense respect for anybody in that, in that capacity. It's true, true heroes. Well, thank you, Peggy. And thank you, Liz, for being on thank our show you. with us today. Thank you. thank you so much for sharing your innovative insights. These are the innovations that can help our listeners find inspiration in their own lives to be thinking ahead and to create change. 
We hope to hear more about these innovations in the days, weeks, and months to come. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at ma-architects.com, where we have an entire COVID toolbox up and running that covers the wide variety of sectors we serve. And if you want to continue the conversation, feel free to email me directly at markb at ma-architects.com. If you like what you heard today, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can be the first to hear what is coming in terms of the innovations and trends from three to five years ahead. Once again, I'm one of your hosts for Make It Innovative, Mark Bryan. And I'm Sam Dickerson. I hope you can find the change you want to be to allow innovation to thrive in the way you live. Thanks again to our guests. Have a great day, everyone, and make it innovative.